Here we go uh, into week three of our series, Eating is Believing. And so we've been talking about the Eucharist, uh, Lord's Table, Communion. Uh, and, and so in this context, we've been trying to kind of unwrap it. What is it about this practice uh, which makes it so special? Uh, why is this, this, uh, this, this practice, this, this theme, this uh, spiritual uh, sacrament, why is it that Eucharist or communion is this practice which we can trace all the way back to Christ. And of course, the Jews themselves um, had their own form of this. I mean, like, why is this such a big deal? Uh, you know, we, we have the scriptures, we have worship, we have preaching, we have, you know, prayer and laying on of, of hands and the spiritual giftings of, of the Spirit. Why is it that this meal, that this practice, that this, you know, the stale bread and the grape juice, you know, why is this so important to the Christian faith? And, uh, Last week we talked about how the Eucharist would be the most Christian thing that you would do all week long. You know, we talked about through all of history that this is the most uh, unique, weird, odd thing that, uh, that followers of Christ have ever done. Uh, in Rome, whenever they began to, under, to hear these rumors about Christians, they actually believed for a while that they were cannibals. They're actually eating their Savior in some weird way. You know, and of course, when Jesus said to his followers, eat my flesh and drink my blood, the odd thing for most of you in the room is that when you read that, you just kind of read over as if it's nothing. But this is something that's supposed to trouble us and bother us and cause us to stumble, to trip over. It's something that should cause us to have to hesitate and to wrestle with it. And uh, this morning we had a song about the cornerstone, the cornerstone, which is Christ. It's, it's this image where God is building a new home, and the first stone, the first step, the, the most important piece is Christ. And in, in the ancient um, Hebrew uh, prophets, they had these prophecies about how it was the cornerstone, it was this first stone of the Messiah, of who God would choose. It was going to cause the Jews and Gentiles to trip over it, to stumble. It was going to be a test, a struggle. And so in the Gospels, we see that the, the message of Jesus was this. And of course, the most controversial part of his message was whenever he began to tell his followers that to have eternal life, they were going to chew on his flesh. I know it's Labor Day. I understand that. I'm sorry. Razorbacks played on Thursday. We played a terrible team, and they're awful, and we still didn't look very good. I understand it's going to be hard to have energy today, but we got to try. <laughs> we have to try at least for my sake, I promise you, because I'll just get worse. If you guys don't interact with me, I'm going to get bored. You're going to get bored. We're all going to be bored. Who wants to be bored? Okay, everybody. All right. Now, you ever heard the word prelude before? Okay, it's the prelude, meaning it's almost like uh, it is the trailer. It's the uh, the appetizer. It's something that comes before something bigger than it. Uh, the OED, which is the the uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, which means it's the Brits, according to the Brits, the ones who know English. If you ask them, the word means this: the prelude is an action or event serving as an introduction to something more important. So a prelude is something which comes first, and its entire purpose is to prepare you for the more important thing. It's something small that prepares you for something big, right? It's the first taste, touch, experience, the first idea that something else is coming. Um, who likes rainstorms? Anybody? Rainstorms? Yeah, look, look at that. I talk razorbacks and Jesus and no hands. I talk about rain. I love rain. Uh, 
whenever a storm is coming in, one of the coolest experiences is, you know, whenever, whenever a front begins to move and you get that kind of a right ahead of the clouds, you begin to sense the temperature change. Have you guys ever experienced that before? Like the, the clouds are still like over there, but the temperature here begins to change. And then there begins to be a breeze, right? If it's a cold front, it's a cold breeze, okay? If it's a warm front, it's warm, right? We'd call that a We'll get there. <laughs> Thank you. It's a prelude, right? Okay, remember, it's something small that's telling you that something bigger is coming. Okay, it's something that goes ahead, okay, to signal to something that's more important, that's larger, that's more significant, which is coming behind it. Okay, how about snow? Who likes snow? Amen. I, I, okay. Favorites already. Okay. I love snow. There is a smell that comes before it snows. Did you know that? Shh. It is so clean and brisk about that. Um, it is like the most purest thing that you could ever smell. It is just, I sound really nerdy. But I love snow. And right before it's going to snow, the air seems to get still. It's almost like it gets um, thin, if that makes any sense. And you can smell snow coming. How about a sunrise? Who likes to watch a good sunrise? Okay. Now, for me, the best part of the sunrise is right before the actual sun breaks. If you're looking at mountains or, or hills or trees, there is a, it's a glow, if you would, right? Before you see the rays, before you see the sun, there's a glow, right? Have you got, okay, 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 I'm not, I'm not crazy, right? So it, put a tree line you're looking at, right? All of a sudden, the tops of the trees will begin to glow with color, and then it gets brighter and brighter. It's a, right? Five people that time. Man, we're doing good. Now, with music, and, and by the way, we argue about this. I think you're wrong. I checked. I checked, music major. A prelude, okay, is actually a piece of music which is a part of, of, of the greater composition. Do you like that? I'm right. And, and so what happens is, is, it is part of the song, but it's not the song. That makes any sense, okay? And so it, it's this, this section of music which is supposed to prepare you. And so it has little signatures in it that are, are going to be in, if you would, the big production. But it's, it, it's very subtle. It tends to have the notes, but it's just a small section of what's coming. When you have a meal, who's ever had like a full course meal before? I mean like a, like a meal, right, where they just bring all these different courses out, you know, and like everything's really tiny, right? You're like, I want it on one plate. If you could just put it all on one plate, that'd be great, right? But they bring you these tiny plates and this tiny little food, okay? And so, and so it's anywhere from six to 12 uh, different courses. And so each one is a prelude, meaning each little course is kind of priming you for what's coming. Like, oh, it's so good, but it's just so small. And you eat it and it's gone. And like, that's the whole point, though. The whole point is that you eat something so amazing and so small, that it almost makes you angry. Like, it's, it's enjoyable, right? But it's just, it's not enough. You want more. And so you're like, okay, you know, baby plate aside, where's the next baby plate? And they just keep these little plates coming. 
And these little plates are actually creating this enormous hunger inside of you. It's an amazing thing because at the end of the meal, you've actually had so much food. You truly can be full. But the problem is that even though you have enough food, if you would, to fill your hunger, your appetite is not satisfied. Does that make sense? Your appetite is not satisfied. Um, movies. Who likes movies? Okay. There was a point, I'd say probably about nine to ten years ago, when trailers for movies just got way too good. Agreed? It's about the time when trailers made that transition. Do you remember the old trailers where it had that deep guy's voice? He would, like, speak, and this is going to be an action-packed adventure and drama. Yes? And it was the same voice for all the movies? Okay. It was about the transition when they stopped doing that, you know, and, like, this guy, like, lost his entire business overnight. But basically, like, when they stopped using that guy, all of a sudden trailers just got so good. And they started giving you too much in the movie, right? I mean, okay. You notice that. And then, like, the music was so good. Like, they would find these tracks, and you're like, I just, oh, this, this, the sound's building, and there's explosions, and I just, whew. And you're so pumped to go see the movie, and you get in there, and you go, I've seen all this before. It's a letdown, right? Your appetite is so ready for something amazing, and it's kind of a letdown. We can't have that discussion this morning. I love movies. We could be here all day. Now, a prelude, again, this is the point of the prelude. The prelude is to prepare you, to prime you, if that almost makes sense. It's to get the appetite stirring so that you want more. So as we talk about the meal, about Eucharist, about this practice, um, I want to talk about the way that it's a prelude. It's, its primary purpose is to begin to prime the appetite, to begin to get people hungry, salivating for more. What is coming after this? One of my biggest problems um, with the church, if you would, uh, is that we have created a form of Christianity where everything is on one plate. We put all the good stuff, or we think we do, all the good stuff, we put it in one plate. And the idea is to put Jesus in a Happy Meal box and get it to you as fast as we can. And so we take all of the scriptures, which I wish I had a Bible, but of course I'm, you know, stupid millennial and all. Um, you know, they take, we take all of the Bible, we take all of human history, we take all of human knowledge, and we compress it into these tiny little bits and bites. Well, see, it's all because you're a sinner and God loves you, so he died for you, and so he wanted to hurt you because you're bad, so he did it to his son. So now you can be freed from being hurt by God. Aren't you excited? Okay, and all you got to do is run to the front, and we're going to say a prayer, and boom, everything you ever wanted. You're not going to burn in fire forever. That's a good one. I like that one, right? And you're going to be healed of anything that you'd ever have. You're going to be rich forever because you're going to be awesome. And in high school, they said you're a loser, but you're not a loser anymore because you're going to say a prayer, and everything is on this plate. It's all in this nice little Happy Meal box, and you're going to be smiling when you leave. Boom! The people come back the next day. Woo! Okay, it's Sunday. Now what? Now what? Now what? We're going to kind of do like a karaoke thing. We're going to have words on the screen, and we're all going to sing the words together. I just had to mess with you, honey. I'm sorry. 
And then we're going to have this guy come out, and, and you know, he's going to talk to you about the Bible. Now, we've already told you that you already have everything you need because you know, all you need to do is say a prayer and you're good. But you don't really have to hear what he's going to say because it's not really going to change anything because we put everything in that box. But it's kind of cool sometimes to learn some stuff, but you don't really need it. Then we're going to have life groups, and we're going to say, let's do life together. But you don't really need that because you already said the prayer. It's all in the box, really all you need. But if you want more, we have ice cream sundaes on the side if you'd like that too. And we wonder why we just get bored with God. Church, the Bible. And see, in all of this, the lie is that this idea that we can take God and Jesus and everything that God is, and that we could possibly box them into this kind of five-minute presentation or into this hour-and-a-half service, or into one day, or into one year, or into one lifetime. This idea that we could take the being who made all things, this, this person, this, 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 this God who created this blade of grass, which is so complex that it would take me hours and hours just to fully understand this piece of grass, it would take me all sorts of instruments and study and learning to study a snowflake to fully understand it. But yet, I'm told that everything in the, of God is right here in this little sentence with this little prayer and in this, this little room, and that's all you need. And see, we need to understand is that it's, it's, it's actually the opposite of the truth is that when we begin to, to step into relationship with God, we are sitting down for a meal that has courses that will never end. We're sitting down at a table where we go, ooh, that's good, I love that, oh, that was so good. Ooh, I love ooh, that, ooh, I love that. Ooh. And, and it's just, it never stops. And your appetite is never filled. The entire nature of who God is in his relationship with us, is that he would start the appetite, this insatiable hunger that we have inside of us, and that he would be the source that would always fill it. Have you noticed in your life that you are never fully satisfied? Now, if you think you are, here's the truth. I love you. I promise I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk. If you truly believe that you are satisfied, it's because you haven't realized that you're lying to yourself. Okay? Okay, amen. Marriage counseling number one. Your spouse will never be enough for you. Until you admit that, you're going to have some big issues in your marriage. Oh, she already knows, man. Your job, your accomplishments, your, your paycheck, your house your cars, it will never be enough. Now, it's different for all of us. We all have different areas where we've kind of focused our appetites. But wherever it is that you've placed your appetites, it will never be enough. See, it wasn't ever money for me, but it was other things. This might not seem like a big deal, and 
I know we don't have everyone here this morning, but the place where we are this morning is a big step away from where we were four years ago. The building that we were meeting in, that I was preaching from four years ago, the, the amount of people who came, I think we had three kids in the nursery four years ago. Today, the nursery is bigger than the church was four years ago. The kids' church is about equal to the amount of adults we had in the entire church four years ago. And so for me, it wasn't an appetite for things like money, but it was an appetite for success. I needed to be successful. And I learned at a very, I learned at a very short period of time that, that it's never going to be enough. If I place my appetite into the wrong things, it will never fill. I will always need more. And see, the problem with most Christianity is that we teach you that that's a bad thing. And so Christianity becomes about telling you, you have your happy meal, that's all you need. And so every other part of your life, well, you're hungry. And so when you're looking for sexual pleasure, when you're trying to, to live your life for more money, more accomplishment, more power, more respect, whatever it is, we tell you all you got to do is just control it. So we teach you how to control your appetite. Every time bad thoughts come, just think, no, 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 in Jesus' name. And so every time you begin to be who God called you to be, and you have this appetite for more, 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 we just slap your hand. Jesus said no more cookies for you. You've already had everything you needed in that five-minute prayer. Why are you still hungry? Shouldn't life be great for you now? We've already told you everything's fixed. You're rich. Actually, my bank account has lots of red numbers in it. No, you're rich. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> and see, we've just gotten it backwards. The very heart of what it means to tell people about the gospel is to tell them that you are actually made in a beautiful, wonderful way. But there's just something missing. You just need to be turned a little bit. Your, your focus... Your appetite, your desires just need to be focused in a different way. There's actually something that can fill your hunger. There's something that can actually meet the needs that you feel. There's actually a place where it's okay for you to say, I want more. And so what God gives us is he gives us this little meal. And I love it. It's ridiculous. We get to take a little piece of bread. Have you ever had a meal where you ate that little? <laughs> okay, just say no. <laughs> Everyone's like, uh, no. <laughs> we take this tiny piece of bread. And if you're in this church, we take this little cup. You know, if you're in different churches, you take one sip. And it's just enough to make you thirsty. Just enough to make you hungry, right? And the idea is not that everything that we need is already there. The idea is that this is what we hunger for most. And it's just enough to remind us, that's what I want. 
See, it doesn't take much to remind someone of something that they want. See, whenever I was in school, I had some really super goofy things that I loved. Okay. Sports, obviously, right? That hasn't changed much. I used to play a sport that most of you will laugh at me, but I just have to share it because it's fun. I used to play paintball. And I don't... Amen, brother. And I don't mean like play paintball. Official title, semi-pro. Does that make me more of a nerd? Absolutely. And I didn't care because I wanted more of it. And I would just tell everybody about it. Now, for some people, there's like, that's just stupid. That's okay. If you knew how many people I roped into playing that stupid game with me, you would be amazed. If you knew how much money it costs to play that game and to play the way I wanted to play, you would be amazed. The month with, with my first full-time job, the amount I made that first year, I spent more than that the previous year on paintball. How's that possible? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't you worry about it. And I would just find a way to get around people, and I would just find a way to prime that appetite for this. And so this meal is the way that we get primed. It's the way that we get reminded, oh, yes, I, I do want that. See, the problem with us is we have everything in this world that gives us taste of other things. Hey, see, success tastes good. Having lots of money, that, that tastes pretty good. And so we do this weekly because it's a way that we remind ourselves of what we really want, the place that we're really to focus our energy and attention. Now, what's so powerful about this, the reason that this is a prelude, the reason that this is, if you would, the small thing that comes first that points to what's bigger is because of what's all kind of wrapped up in it. In the Old Testament, the way they understood the temple. Now, uh, who was here about a year and a half ago for uh, Tents and Temples series? Anybody? By the way, like, that's some of like the, like the richest theology that we've done in a series before. I loved it. And uh, because of that, I'm sure half of us were super bored. But that's Okay. If you like to nerd out on that kind of stuff, it's a good series to go to. And so in the Old Testament, what they had was they had this concept that there was the earth, the world, if you would, and then there's this, this other place called the heavenlies, the heavens. And so in the Old Testament, when you see that word, the heavens or the heavenlies, it's not just the sky, which sometimes the firmament is the word that they use, okay, so heavens meaning sky and clouds. But what they understood was that there's a place, a world where God lives that's around us, Think of like another dimension, right? So it's not necessarily a physical place that I can fly to, okay? It could be right next to me. I just I can't touch it, okay? He's just this far away. And so there's this realm and there's this realm. And there's a few places where these realms touch, okay? There are a few places where heaven and earth are able to meet each other, to join. And the most important of all these places was, was the temple, and it was that the concept was in the temple, this is where God and man meet. Earth and heaven meet. That's pretty awesome. Okay, I'm just saying. It's like, if I could tell you, hey, if you go to this 
building and walk in, you're going to be in, on earth, but in heaven. I mean, like, would you at least not, like, look? You know, it's like drive over there and, like, drive by? You know, I, mean, like, I mean, you'd be curious. That's just crazy. And so, of course, we, we talked about this before. There's all the divisions. Okay, you got the court, inner court, the most holies, whatever. And on the innermost place was this thing called the altar. Looked a lot like a table. Uh-oh. And they had elements on this table. We don't have time to go into all that. But on this table, this altar, there's a place where there was a perpetual flame that was kept burning. And where this flame was, there's also this smoke. And the idea was is that it was a symbol of the offering of man and the presence of God meeting. And there was a place on this altar, on this table, where all of heaven and all of earth was fully touching. There was no separation. If you could get to that point, you could touch God. Now, that sounds kind of cool, right? And so, of course, we have Jesus who comes, and he does all, um, all these amazing things. There's one thing that scholars argue about, and they argue about whether or not the presence of God was actually inside the temple when Jesus was alive. Okay? Now, uh, in the stories, you guys have heard in the Gospels, when Jesus, whenever he died, like the veil was torn, right? The separation. Well, the trick about that is that most theologians and historians believe that it had actually been hundreds of years since the cloud was actually over the table. Meaning, they had been doing all the same rituals and worshiping and praying, even though... God had already left, okay? And what's so powerful is one of the last things that Jesus does in the Gospels is he actually visits the temple. And, and, and again, we don't have time for all this, but he basically walks up to this place where everyone else is praying and, and focusing on God being on the other side of the wall, and he stands there and he goes, man, wouldn't that be great if God were here? I wonder what's on the other side of that curtain, and then he goes, and of course, he does these, these teachings talking about how what is about to be torn and what was about to be seen in him. And so what happens in Christ is the place, if you would, the temple, the place where God and man are one, transitions. It's not a temple anymore. It becomes the actual body of Jesus, where earth, this physical body of, of a man, in heaven, God, the very essence of the Creator, His Spirit, is in one place. I wish I could do a sermon on that by itself. How about that? Everyone's like, no, please don't. <laughs> and so the actual temple becomes here. And then there's a transition. And then He says, in this reality that I am, I'm handing it over. And everyone who comes after me, they're going to be temples. We're the very essence of God, where heaven and earth meet, is here. But, but in that picture, there's something missing. So what happens to the altar? And see, the altar is a very important symbol because the altar is where man brings their offering, where man brings something that pleases God. And because it pleases God, God shows up in a different way, in a special way. And so in the past... What they would burn, they'd burn all sorts of different things. But, of course, the ones that we talk about the most is animals. They'd bring these different 
animals for different sacrifices. And the concept is that God was up in heaven. And so like, you know, when this bird, this dove or, you know, or a ray, whatever, is burning, he's going, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> and you go, that's kind of funky, right? And so what transitions in this is all of a sudden this altar seems to disappear in this new covenant, this new relationship with God. The altar disappears, and there's something new in its place, a table. And at this table, we don't have to bring the sacrifice. See, whatever it was that was needed for us to meet with God has already been prepared for us. The job for us is simply to come to the table. And as we come to this table, what happens in this is that we're not coming alone. Man, I wish I had all sorts of time for this. See, the sacrifices, some were done individual, but some were done corporately, which means the community itself. And so when it came down for Passover, these offerings were actually done as a village, as a community. And so when something was brought, it wasn't me bringing my gift for God and then you bring yours, and, you know, uh, if you would, something like offering. It wasn't like that. It was something where we all brought one thing to God as one family. And the blessing wasn't just for one person. It was for all of us. And so what happens here is it's not just the table that we bring something just me and God. It's the place where we come to with one another. Wow, they're having a blast. You guys hear that? You guys are like, they're having way more fun than we are having. So what happens in this is you have this place where the separation between God and man is mended. When we sit at the table, because of what Jesus has done, I'm now able to sit next to, be present with, to connect with God. I'm also able to sit down with my brother, my neighbor. Right? The, the, the separation that was caused between man is mended. And I'm also able to sit down with my enemy. Because, see, in Christ, all are brought together. All are brought back. And so this becomes a place where I am able to fully connect and to be in union with everyone and everything that was once separated from me. It's all brought back. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians 2.14. The same passage that we read. I want to read it in the Message Bible. Um, Eugene Peterson, he's the one behind this, this uh, translation. I always like to give it because I know some people are kind of weird about the Message Bible. Uh, Eugene Peterson is a great scholar. Uh, it wasn't intended to be your primary reader, but here's what he does. He takes all the work that we'd have to do as you know, theology students going to the Greek, going uh, to, the, to the ancient context of all the, the Jewish prophecies and Psalms and, and all these different things. He does all the hard work for you, and he puts it into a really um, simple sentence because this image is very low. There's a lot going on in this passage. And so um, verse 14, here's what he says. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual meaning, it doesn't stop, victory parade. Through us, 
He brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the fragrance because of Christ. We give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way to salvation, an aroma. I don't even know how to spell that word. Redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. That's pleasant. This is a terrific responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? No, but at least we don't take God's Word, water it down. That's the Happy Meal thing we talked about, right? We don't water it down and then take it to the streets to sell it cheap. Gosh, that line is awesome. (laughs) We stand in Christ's presence when we speak. God looks us in the face. We get what we say straight from God and say it as honestly as we can. Let's pause for a second. One of the things about this passage, which kind of just speaks to the most, is, is that he talks about how it's not just our words through which people are learning of who God is, right? What we see is that it's the very presence of us around them. That is an amazing mower. We need that. <laughs> Do you guys hear that? That's some horsepower, man. And so what happens in this is it's not just words. When you think about evangelism, like, you know, what, what do you picture, right? You picture someone who's going door to door, or you see someone on a stage, and they're kind of, they're talking about ideas or sermons or, you know, trying to get you to come to uh, the altar call. And what he's saying here is that what happens in us is just the very nature of us walking in unity with God and each other. When we come into a place, there's a fragrance that comes off of us. I love this. I love the idea of this. When you're eating food, have you ever tried to eat food when your nose is just clogged up? Yes, right? Okay, now, when your nose is clogged, your tongue still works, correct? Everyone's like, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, but I would assume, right? Your brain still works, your tongue still works, right? You should be able to enjoy, the, if it's just about tasting the food, you should be able to enjoy it just as much. Safe conclusion? But there's something that's missing when you can't smell it. There's something that's missing. And I see when it comes to a meal, there's nothing that gets people, gets their appetite going the way that a smell does. For example, there are sounds from cooking, correct? You know, you, you can hear things sizzling. You know, like you hear someone with a pot boiling. There are sounds of cooking. Now, unless you're interesting, just, you know, which I'm sure you are, um, do sounds of cooking get your appetite going the way smells do? Don't nod. That would really mess up my analogy. <laughs> okay. I'm going to assume that everyone said no, which I saw heads nodding, and I'm just going to ignore you. Okay. It's not as good. <laughs> There's something about the smell that begins to waft out from the kitchen, right? And you begin to smell, and it just begins to prime you. I mean, your appetite just gets going, your, your brain starts to run, you start to salivate. I know you're not dogs, I, I know we're not. Okay, but it does happen, we just don't want to admit it. You just, you're, you're getting ready. You are ready to take this in. See, the prelude of the gospel, the prelude, the, the teaser, the appetizer is this. 
It is this as we walk this out. I'll explain this. See, this meal is not just something that is supposed to be done and we leave it. It's, this meal is, first of all, symbolic, which just means this. Take a sermon. I could talk for hours and you would really love it because it's, it's so great when I talk, right? Um, I could talk for hours, <laughs> okay? But some people would just get nothing because it's very difficult. Not all of us are wired to learn that way, okay? Like some people just go, I need to touch it, right? I need to, to feel it to learn, right? I learn with my hands. <laughs> there we go. Some people say, well, I, I, you know, I, all those ideas, uh, you know, I just need it simply. Bread and juice. And so the first way that this is the prelude is its symbolism, meaning as we look at it and we think about it, it tells us a story without us having to hear a story. <laughs> okay. When you see the American flag, is there just one thought that comes to your head? Or are there many? There's many. It's, it's symbolic. There's something you see it, and it tells a story without having to say a word. Correct? It pulls you into a reality without ever having to be there yourself. It takes you into it. And so it's symbolic. It, it, it sucks us into something that's real, even if we're having trouble learning it, even if, it's, even if it's distant from us. We see it, and it takes us into it. The second thing it does is it's experiential. We taste it. We touch it. We smell it. We feel it. And here's why. Because this meal isn't supposed to be done. This isn't something that we do just to God. God, I love you. So here's, the, here's this bread you want me to eat. Here's this juice you want me to drink. I'm, I'm, you know, I hope you're happy because I, I ate this really crappy bread. Everyone's like, that is sacrilege. That is the body of Jesus. That's the flesh of Jesus. It's not crappy bread. It's like $1.34 at Walmart, guys. Okay. See, the meal is something that is literally supposed to get in you. Yes, I know you're eating it. I know it goes in you, right? But the meaning, the experience is supposed to go in you so that it comes out of you. Don't take that symbolism like way too literally. I apologize. I, yeah, my words beat my brain on that one. I'm like, oh, bring it back. I apologize. Okay. Metaphorically, spiritually even, okay, we come and we do this, and, and most of the time it might mean nothing for you, and that's absolutely okay. But at some point it's going to get a hold of you, it's going to get in you. And all of a sudden, at some point, I'm going to begin to understand what it means to take upon a life of brokenness, to live my life as being broken for everyone else around me. I'm going to realize what it means when I'm taking this, this juice, that this is the symbol of a fresh new start and one I get to extend to you. I'm going to realize at some point what it means to take a little piece of one whole piece of bread, meaning I am a part of a whole. I'm not whole without you. 
Let that sink in for a second. At some point, it's going to get in there. At some point. And because of this, at some point, this is going to become the ultimate form of evangelism. Meaning, at some point, this meal is going to go with me. At some point, everything I do is going to give people the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. And at some point, this meal is going to become so fresh in my mind, in my emotions, in my spiritual reality, that whenever I go places, there's going to be an aroma coming off of me. And that no longer is going to be the appetizer. Now I am the appetizer. See, this is the place where we learn what it is. Jesus, salvation, reality, eternity, heaven, hell, everything, meaning, purpose, life, hope. We find it in Christ, in His body, in His meal, in His church, somehow, some way. And then somehow, some way, people find that in us. And we become a walking prelude. We become an appetizer. We become the smell that wafts into rooms. And people who are hungry for this all of a sudden begin to hunger for this. Last analogy of the day. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and you, and like you had on your mind what you wanted? You're thinking about it. Oh, I just can't wait to order this. At this restaurant, it's the best. Yes? Okay. Have you ever sat down and someone else had something else at the table next to you or around you and you go, uh-oh. Have you ever? Amen. That is the point. Now, see... That same person could come to me at work and be like, hey, Devin, you know, you got to try the spaghetti at this restaurant. It is the best. And they could tell me all about it. They might have a chance to persuade me, right? Maybe. But it's just words. It's just ideas. But if they can bring me this piping hot plate and just scoot it in front of my computer, right? Well, the way you described it was, it was okay, but... mm -hmm." Even when you're not hungry, if someone brings good-smelling food around you, what happens? I just, yeah, it's gone. You messed up, brother. You put, you put it down. This is what happens. We are surrounded by a world who has appetites for everything but God, and, and that's understandable, completely understandable. We're in a broken, fallen, messed-up place. But the point is that we would center ourselves, that we would have a waft that would remind us that whether it was the word, the bread, the juice, the fellowship, something in the church would remind us, would slide that warm plate in front of us, and we'd go, ah, that's right, this is what I really want. And we would leave here every week, and we would take this warm, hot, I mean, I shouldn't use spaghetti, it's kind of lame, right? No? Okay, spaghetti it is. With meatballs? <laughs> Does it matter? Meatballs are not. You're an amateur. Spaghetti with meatballs. And we take this plate and we slide it in front of everyone we're around. You will find that when you begin to live out what it means to live a life of love, of compassion, brokenness, selflessness, you will find people that smell a waft 
And you will find people drawn to you that your tracks and your sermons would never do. Let's go ahead and stand. I just want to say again, guys, um, it's Labor Day weekend. I am so impressed. Every one of you. See, I have to be here, but you don't have to be here. (laughs) Father, we come to you this morning. Um, We love you. Um, And even the places where we don't feel love for you, we want to. And uh, (sighs) so this morning, we ask that that the word of God would penetrate our hearts. Um, We know that the odor the sweetness of Christ and of the goodness of God is not always the perfume that we're giving off. Even when it's not bad things. The idol, the, the, the focus of our appetite, the thing that we worship and run after, the thing we think about and we use our energy for, the thing that we're worshiping, whether it's money or job or pleasure, whatever it is, even good things, our family, our spouses, Whatever these things are, whatever our appetite is focused is the aroma that we're giving off, is what we are trying to build appetite in everyone around us for. And Holy Spirit, we come to you and we just ask that the broken body of Christ, the blood spilled for us, that, the, that this church, that our church family, the brother and sister next to us, that, that your spirit, that these would be the things that our appetite would be woken up by. Even though we're, we're not taking communion this morning corporately, we ask that you'd prepare us even for next week. Spirit of God, we ask that we would come hungry. And I ask that this people would be a people who truly would have the love and the goodness and the forgiveness of God wafting off of them everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. So we're about to close, but I just want to take a second with one thing and you know, I'm convinced sometimes that God speaks to me through pictures. I'm not sure if you guys are the kind of people who just get these random, like, very vivid images. And the one I had today was, uh, you know, someone eating with a blindfold. I'm not sure if you guys have ever experienced that before. But, you know, but just having a blindfold on it, it's almost like, um, you know, eating in a dark room. You know, to sit down with your meal and just have the lights turned off, you know. Um, there's something about that. At first, when you walk into a dark room, if you're not, if you don't know you're safe, you know, fear and uncertainty, you just kind of panic and your, your thoughts race, and you just kind of feel alone and, uh, and, and not safe. You feel vulnerable. But if, you, but if you know that it's okay, if you know that, uh, that you know, you're safe, if you know that you know, the person who turned the lights off is not going to hurt you, there's something about being in the dark, eating a meal where you can focus. It's almost like turning off your sight, you're able to focus on tastes and smells and sounds. And this morning, Lord, we just pray for anyone in their life right now it feels like they are in a place where they are just, the lights have been turned out. They can't see. They don't know where you are. They're confused. Why is this happening? Uh, frustration, uncertainty. And Lord, we pray for them this morning that if they're in that place, they just feel like they, they're kind of walking in the dark, feeling for uh, direction, trying to find safety. We pray for them this morning, Lord, that they would relax. They would know that they're safe. And that they would take this opportunity to experience you in ways they never have before. We ask, Lord, that they would experience you in such powerful, real ways that their lives and their families' lives would never be the same. 